session. Podcast Artists. The production of this podcast was made possible by the kind support of the Dorotheum. Welcome to another episode of Secession Podcast. My name is Christian Lubert and I am a curator at Secession. We are here on the occasion of Jordan Strafer's exhibition Loophole and I'm very pleased to welcome you Jordan Strafer and Marty Manen. And it would be great if you could briefly introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Jordan Strafer. I am an artist based in New York and I mostly make videos. Hi, and my name is Marty Mann, and I'm the director of Index Foundation in Stockholm. It's an art center that is collaborating with you at the session to produce this exhibition that will be also presented in Stockholm. Exactly. So it's a great pleasure. I actually curated the show with Jordan Strafer. And it's, as you said, a cooperation uh, between Index, but also with Kindle, the Center for Contemporary Art in Berlin. I thought we could start with listening to a part of your video work that you produced uh, specifically for the exhibition that's just been opening uh, yesterday at Secession. And I would start with a part that shows an interrogation that uh, is part of the court case, uh, very in the media widely uh, shown court case in the 1990s that was about a rape case against William Kennedy Smith. And it is an interrogation with a main witness. And I will dive into a question after we had a quick listen. She kept repeating over and over again about her shoes, where are my shoes? And to comfort her, I went inside the house to find her shoes. <laughs> Your friend says that she was raped, is that right? Yes. What she tells you is that she wants her shoes. Is that correct? Yes. Several times she was worried about her shoes. Yes. So you went into the house? Yes. Into the house where the rapist is, right? I guess you could say that, yes. It's dark in there. Yes. You go through the kitchen, right? Yes. Into this little hallway. Yes. It's dark in this hallway, isn't it? Right. You meet up with this man who your friend says is a rapist, isn't that right? I was not afraid of him. No, I wasn't well, afraid. That's not my question, Miss. You understand my question? My question is, did you meet this man who your friend says is the alleged rapist? Yes. I think we can start from there. Maybe uh, you can say a few words about the court case you've chosen and also in this particular case, why you've chosen this interrogation. Yes, so when I received the invitation from the secession, the first thing I thought is that I wanted to make a work that represents America. So that train of thought led me to thinking about the Kennedys. The Kennedys had been a theme already in my last film, my previous film, Peak Heaven, Love Forever. And I remembered that my mother worked on a Kennedy case. And I never really thought much about it, but Then I realized it was this William Kennedy Smith rape trial, and I started watching videos of it on YouTube and finding footage of Patricia Bowman censored with a blue orb. And 
the particular courtroom and looking for my mom in the in the footage with her curly hair and I was thinking of how to make something interesting with this trial because in a way my position is uninteresting I you know I guess a lot of my work is about gender related violence and you know to show a rape trial where very powerful person is accused of rape and then he's acquitted I barely have anything to say about it you know I don't think it would be an interesting artwork to just say like I disagree or something like that so I was trying to figure out what to do and then I was watching this movie by Francois Ozon a double lover and I think it's from the 2000s actually but it's an erotic thriller and the thing I like the most about that movie is a woman is seeing a psychiatrist and she marries him and moves in with him but that's actually just the background of the main story in which normally in a movie that would be the main story um so anyway i thought that'd be interesting especially having having the rape trial as a uh found it's a foundation it's a given for this other thing that's potentially like it's a fan or what i make and my fictional piece is a fantasy and and thinking about like the potentially emancipatory or insidious affair and being in this ambivalent zone and this particular section of the cross-examination I found a text by a linguistic scholar based in Chicago named Gregory Matosian and uh, I had the pleasure of interviewing him and speaking to him and he's written several books about this lawyer's performance in this particular trial examining how the power is illustrated in the poetics of his speech and this is this section of the cross-examination is one of the sections he writes about in his book law and the language of identity and um, the the chapter that this appears in is called repetition and the patriarchal order and yeah I just love that title of chapter and I think it's interesting for a rape you know to represent this sensitive subject to actually choose a, a section that's not explicit and that I, everything is already there what did super interesting about this fragment also of the film is in this there's a control of timing like the male voice is defining like okay the 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 cinematic scene with this woman following this other person and then uh, putting extra time it seems that it's uh, like that she's there for half an hour because he's repeating and repeating and repeating and then the 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 impression of the jury must be like this person was there a lot of time so there's this game also on 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 playing with language to make use of 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 power and how to construct this performativity around power and there's something really really interesting with with your film on the, all these layers like from the the jury position that supposedly has a power but also the court system itself and and how it it represents or it's represented in many many different ways yeah and the lawyer forms the questions in, in a way where the witness has to answer an affirmative and and it's kind of brilliant and a trial lawyer is not that different from an artist you think so and yeah. like i had to think of the scene where the word truth comes into play because that's what a lawyer would or like the court tries to do right they try to find the truth at least that's what they would like to would you think that's also an endeavor you're following i'd say in theory or ideally but actually it's it's um if you think about the 
defense attorney's job or the figure of the defense attorney, they form an argument based on a precedent, which is actually just like any other form of scholarship, basically. And you have to be creative. You have to find a creative, you know, you have to be creative with your language and not only with the written language, but your performance of that language and your whole persona is part of it. And in that way, I think the character in my movie, but also the figure as an abstract concept is like an artist. And I think about this because I grew up with two parents that were criminal defense attorneys in Miami. So um, I, I reflect on this a lot. So in a way, you're following their footsteps, but in a <laughs> in an artistic way at the yeah, same time. Yeah, like actually, in a way. You see it that way. Um, mm -hmm. It's funny because my work is always autobiographical, but when I'm making it, I make the story separate from myself. And in this piece, for example, the character who's called the pen is representing the person that would be my mother, but in my mind, she's the pen. And it's important to me that she's a rep she's a representation and it's kind of mediated. So I don't have the pressure of, I don't know, representing my life or, or you know it's interesting also to go back to this idea of, of truth or veracity yeah. suddenly the figure of your mother gives us as viewers uh, uh, an autobiographical element that makes everything reality because then it's you telling a story to us and you are putting some elements there that represent the reality uh, and this idea of truth uh, and then we follow you we follow you telling us a story that it's the story. It's not It's not the version of the story. And I think it's also interesting with you, with what you were commenting before and this construction that is happening in this, in this situation, in the court, that everyone knows that it's based on, on the performativity of the ones acting there. But at the same time, uh, you need to believe in what's happening. Probably this, it's, a, it's, about, it's a matter of believing in, in what you hear and getting this narrative that makes sense, that has a logic. We see someone dismantling the logics of this rape there to avoid the possibility of putting a candidate on, on, in jail. Absolutely, and I think that's the power of specificity of using real material, so to speak. I was looking at photographs and thinking about specific memories from my life that don't necessarily have to do with this trial specifically, but I think including details that come from real life make something more believable. Or using the transcript, including the, you know, the mistakes helps or gives it a relationship to truth, where I also treat portions of erotic thrillers like Body of Evidence as equal material to the true elements. I have hand quotes, true. Yeah, so those things are e could be equally as true or equally as important. And then you're also uh, approaching a cinema format or genre. There's a tradition of a type of image that you are connecting to with your work. As a, as a viewer, the impression is that you are watching a film film that could be on a TV or on, on a cinema. And it's, it's, it's interesting that how we relate then to movies. And we can see some references in your work at connecting to a specific movies. Uh, how, how it is for you? Because in terms of aesthetic of the film, it's jumping sometimes between like the artistic approach to it with some details, like the blurring of faces, the pen appearing, but also embracing a type of visual language that is connected to a Hollywood description of reality. Well, I think it becomes part of the 
the content, being able to achieve this effect. Well, I take that as such a compliment because I don't think it's really believable as cinema, but it's as close as I can get this time. And I'm excited by using the real transcript unedited. You know, it's an awkwardly long section that would never really be on fictional scripted TV show or movie. And something I was thinking about because this court case was on TV at the time and and widely observed in the U.S. is televisuality in general and these other kind of court shows like Law and Order, obviously, Boston Legal, and, and how it is naturally entertainment and thinking about entertainment. And I'm really happy that it was able to, you know, get close to using it as a form. I really like these yeah, soap opera aesthetics, I guess you could call them. And uh, maybe it's nice to have a little look behind the scenes and into the process of making it. And in relation to that, uh, I would be curious how you actually accomplish to get to these aesthetics that we can witness in the, in the film. Progressively, I've been making bigger productions. And in this case, I was lucky to have producers for the first time And it was still, by film standards, micro-budget, but in this project, you know, one person had one job, mostly, and usually in video art, you know, you think about art and you think the artist does all the jobs, and in the past, I've, that, it's been close to that, or that, you know, or me and a few friends, or, um, but really when you have the chance to have a makeup artist, a costume person, a production designer, people who are really collaborating and you can pay them, then that's the only way to achieve that, really. And there's something really fun to me about that and really exciting, too, to have a collaborative process and, and to merge art and cinema or filmmaking practices and and. Um, traditions and thinking about like the economics of this kind of production and that I still consider this video art or consider myself a video artist. You know, the, the line is blurry now between filmmaking and video art and that's actually exciting to me and also can be kind of hard because the economies of those two industries are very different and also the systems of crediting and authorship are really different. You know, I have to insist to put the credits of the film where usually in an art context, it's just the artist's name, where in a film it would never be, you can always see the credits and who did the, the color, who did the, this and that. But somehow you're adapting some things from the film system when, yeah. for example, there's there's a, there's a second part coming after this yeah. film. So it is, this is a way to produce also in film. Like you start a film, a movie, and you have no idea when it's going to be produced at the end. It can take ages because you have to stop to find some production money or uh, while in a, as an artist you start a project and the goal is to do this project it's like it's 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 devastating if you have to stop at the middle and take it back like two years later why well it's something super common in film but i was also thinking about it on, on how do you relate with movie productions or film production in this case connecting with uh, some previous film from you with puppets how do you deal now with like real people in this film acting as as characters because there's not that yeah the distance is not that long somehow Yeah, an old teacher of mine, a friend and mentor of mine, told me that I 
direct people like their sculptural, like their sculptures. And I actually took it a little bit as an insult, but I think it's true. And I think I do, or now, I don't know, maybe I'll change, but I was thinking about the characters, I guess, as characters, so to speak, or as like potential archetypes. And that's something that's important to me in general in my work. And that's why I like dolls and masks and, and those artificial representations of people be, to take it away from an individual and make it the characters more like symbols. And I think I do that still in this work where uh, the characters are, they, they could be a lot of things. And I see myself in for example, like the main, all the female characters in the film are actually avatars in a way, for me, in a way that when I work with dolls before, they are also. I had to think of the cheek prosthetics of the pen, or I think the main witness has the lip prosthetics, and there's the many details that you put into your film. And I thought there's something very irritating about it. Like, you're not sure why the lips move in a funny way. You see the prosthetics at first, you're not sure, is it part of the face or is it not? And I quite like that. And I think it also evokes this, like, why, because at the same time while watching it, there's many other emotions. And this is like this confrontation of ambivalent feelings that comes up while watching. So I was wondering, you also call your film an erotic thriller, right? Maybe you can say a bit about how you got there and what's your interest in this confrontation. So when I was writing and thinking about making this piece, I started watching erotic thrillers from the 80s and 90s. And it's so odd that that was such a popular form just in that time. And it's the same period as that trial. And watching them thinking about these scenes that are actually very scary, then turning into erotic scenes and then mixing the, fe like trying to make your audience feel both afraid and like turned on is, I don't think people would really do that. It wouldn't be that, it couldn't be popular now. But then, and there's something about that period and that form that's, like you said, the ambivalence that I'm interested in and, and also interested in pointing out or reflecting And with this erotic, oh, it's the sensuality that it's all the time there, the, the tension, the waiting, but also clearly the power relations connected to it. So we can see like the, all the positions there. That I think it's super interesting that suddenly you, we leave somehow the place, but we're at the same spot and something happens. And then, and then we have this erotica appearing there. And then it's like, the, are we in a, on a place where we know on a, in, in one in one state yeah i don't know there's something about that the construction of environment that uh, that change when this erotic appears i realized after the shoot that the viewer occupies a really strange position in this film and maybe it's because i feel like an observer or i don't have a place and also literally where the camera is is sometimes kind of weird like in the middle of the courtroom and that was also because the set was basically only half a set because we couldn't afford to build like the whole all we could only do like one wall or two walls or three walls or whatever so we had to keep it pretty tight but then that anyway created this effect of putting the viewer in a really weird position literally physically within the space of the courtroom, which I'm not sure how I feel about that, but I notice that that's there. 
which makes me think of the installation itself, which is also then the actual viewer now in the exhibition space, putting them into a, a particular situation. And I thought it's interesting how and what you chose within your installation, particularly also maybe with the two benches. And I thought maybe we can look a little bit into these yeah, decisions you made for the exhibition at the session. Yes, so I really wanted to have a sense of symmetry in the space. I really don't like the idea of replicating the set in the video as uh, the viewing space for the video, for my work at least. I think, I don't know, if, if it's in the video, it's already there. So the decisions about the installation, I was thinking about, well, what part of the courtroom do I want to invoke and thinking about the symmetry in these kind of two sides. So I knew very early on that I wanted to benches and there's this particular navy carpet in the set that we got that's actually the same set as the break room and the courtroom because it's actually the same walls but it has a particular it's a navy carpet with a pattern and we were able to find a really similar carpet we actually found the same carpet basically in Vienna and considered putting it in the space and then I thought I would prefer the same pattern but in gray and then thinking about the space invoking the set but not replicating it and yeah this kind of extension and and gray works for me thinking about white cube versus black box and what is this work is it film or is it art or whatever gray feels so appropriate also with the ambivalent feelings and and this yeah this alternate space alternate color basically yeah i also thought just about the experience when you actually go up the stairs right away you're facing um, a framed work where you see an american flag so you continue into the exhibition space i even remember that for the press conference i think the scene playing was the one with the candles like a, a sexual scene i thought it was interesting how that then changed the mood Then there is another smaller wall work that if you walk closer, you see that it's a portrait actually of your mother. And once you watch the film and you walk back out, you can see that this framed work that like you saw when you entered the space also shows a portrait of your mother as it's these reflective beats that work similarly to reflectors on cars. And I thought it was quite an important gesture to choose also these wall works. You actually get confronted with this autobiographical detail. You work predominantly with film. And I was just curious about the use of these alternative materials like wall works and installation and there is also third work in the in the space um, that is a diorama and um, yeah I'd just be curious to hear apart from the film yes. about your work with these materials i think an exhibition is an opportunity to not just have a film and i have a parallel practice of making works on paper that i've been calling drawings but they've been becoming less and less like drawings and I've been experimenting a lot with this material, uh, r uh, retro-reflective glass beads of different sizes and adhering them to paper. And I, I discovered that material because a photographer 
gave me this vintage projection screen that he used to use to do front projected backdrops as a pre-green screen technology that's made out of this material. It's a, a screen coated in these reflective glass beads. And if you put a projector and a two-way mirror at a particular angle, you can photograph your subject in front of this screen with no shadow cast. And his photographs were beautiful. His name is Joseph Astor. And he gave me the screen. I couldn't believe it. But I actually have never found a way to actually use the screen. But I found the beads. And so I've been using the beads. And, and the effect that they have is so beautiful. And then I, I also like thinking about them in photography. When you take a flash photograph, they shine. And, and you have to shoot at it. There are many things that I think they evoke. But anyway, an exhibition I think of as an opportunity to have a constellation of works and to kind of share more of what I'm thinking. The film is singular. You know, it's one idea that I have, but I want to show some stuff that's around it to me. And when I saw the space at this session, I saw this built-in bookshelf and thought oh I didn't I need to put a miniature thing in there and there's a scene in the film that I actually cut but I think I'll put in the next part of a a talk show is on the tv in the background so I th I'm planning on using this diorama for the future film and I like the idea of I don't love the idea of showing props with filmed but maybe I don't know experimenting with showing it before I use it and yeah having this constellation of thinking and and my mother I think is what got me the idea for the work and kind of gives the the work a softness I think there's like something kind of very cruel uh, devastating about the the piece when I watch it almost every time I watch it from start to finish, I, I am sometimes surprised with myself at how upsetting the piece is and how not funny it is. I usually think my work is pretty funny, but this one is really not that funny. Maybe the funniest thing or the prosthetic, like obvious prosthetics, but other than that, there's not that much funny about it. And so, yeah having my mother as like a soft I don't know it's a it's maybe the only true thing or 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 yeah it's not in character that's just portrait of my mother but that not being funny thing I completely understand it you know we are watching the uh, it's a card about a rape and you are as a viewer completely sure that that uh, he's going to win because he's a Kennedy and he has a, a, a lawyer that is brilliant. And there's a, also a, a sexual relationship with one member of the jury. So if there's a winner, it's quite clear who, who the winner is going to be. Of course, it's, 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 uh, it's not acceptable, but it's what happens in reality somehow. So it's also interesting to, to, to offer this construction through these this multiple fragments of that are defining power there. And I think it's, as, as you were commenting, it's this idea of the exhibition as well with this, these other elements that are showing this fragmentation. And also uh, we as visitors are like, suddenly you see something and suddenly you don't see this something. That is this technical solution, but it, it gives us also some, some 
you know, agency somehow. And I really like the, the drama effect that it's something that it's not present and it's talking about a pre or a post time from the film. So it's like you are like expanding the temporality of the exhibition with just a single object. That and shows much of possibilities there. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy that works. <laughs> I also had to think of the um, last scene with the way how you end the film with the accused, so Michael, as you call him, um, is singing Sinatra. And speaking of things not funny at all, but that's also what actually makes it its so painful to see because that's his side of the story. So it's like how it's testimony. He raises his hand and then sings this song. Uh, there's something like, you know, there's that makes you nearly laugh because it's so painful, right? That's I had that feeling for sure when I was when I was watching that yeah, scene. Yeah, he sings it again. <laughs> he finishes it and then he sings, starts it over. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not that funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How how it was for you to decide this like that this thing was gonna happen like that? I I was working on. It just, I had been listening to that song on repeat, Summer Wind by Frank Sinatra. Over the summer, I was listening to it constantly. And I love the moment when the song ends and then it begins again. And then I, I just thought, oh, well, that's what he should do. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the lyrics of the song, I don't know, it just felt so correct of I don't need to put his actual testimony that this can be one of the segments that you know is abstracted I thought it would be great if we look also at the publication as that's your first publication um, that came out together with the exhibition and I thought we could look into or like maybe read out a very short paragraph it's a really nice publication in terms yeah. of paper color design and it's that's a t yeah some some yeah. something there that also connects with 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 the with your production maybe yeah you can say a bit about your because this is part of the new publication series by the board and maybe you can say a bit about the intervention that's part of actually each of these publications as well and a little bit about the process as we worked uh, with Sabode uh, the designer on this and um, how we got to this actually I think also very great uh, publication yes so I was asked to do an intervention to the publication, but every idea I had wouldn't work. <laughs> and I kind of was running out of ideas. That there was a float floating thought about a movie poster, and and Sabo actually suggested to do something with the dust cover and movie poster. Maybe I I was thinking also about legal pads, and now the pages resemble legal paper, the yellow tone, um, and I had been making drawings because we make the publication before. So this was in the fall around drawings with pale yellow paper and that I was thinking was like legal pads and the collaboration just went really well and the poster around the cover was the solution and now we have this poster that's um also all around vienna and I, i'm so delighted to also see it in the subway mm. <laughs> i like that it's functioning as a poster the the movie poster that it's not just um in the book so it's kind of like a satellite thing from mm -hmm. the book as like distributed throughout the city during the exhibition exactly 
I would have a look actually at, there's three texts in um, the publication. Uh, one is by Constance de Bray, another one is by Kerstin Starkermeyer, and another one is an interview with Aram Mosayidi. And I would like to start with a very short paragraph. It's the way how you end your interview with Aram Mosayidi. And let me maybe read this short paragraph first. You're saying to Aram, When Gary had to leave the shoot early, you took his place in the jury for a scene. I love the concept of a body double. Continuity relates to convincing, which I don't try to do. I want to embrace inconsistency as if my work were an unreliable testimony. Um, can you say something about the role of the actors that you work with, maybe even in relation to past works and to this work? Well, first, I knew I... I had these texts, the the linguistics texts by Gregory Matosian, which I thought were amazing, and, and immediately thought, wow, what if the actor I uh, cast studies this? And I had worked with Jim Fletcher in my previous film, and he played my father in that film, and I thought, oh, well, he should just be the patriarch for the next one, and, and as this like, perverse gesture in a way but also because he's an actor that really studies his roles and um, I had remembered that from our past shoot and I knew that he would really be delighted to go through this material and 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 he would be excited that I found this kind of analysis and these tapes that he could study and so he did, and, and so J it started with Jim Fletcher, and because he was, and he said yes, thankfully, uh, and because he was on board, that helped convince more people. Like Gary Indiana has a, a cameo as a juror, and I'm happy about that. And that was on, on purpose because of his past writing, and that he used to sit in courtrooms in the '90s to inform his writing and. He's like a silent judge or critic or something in the piece. And the rest of the actors fell into place. I knew that for the Michael character, that I wanted a Broadway singer. And, and I had th this envisioned like a, like a Broadway bimbo <laughs> in a good way. And we held auditions and I worked with a really great casting agency in New York called Casting Double and they really got me or they understood that I was thinking kind of conceptually and um, had a lot of great people but then Kevin Clay came and auditioned the song and he's the star of Book of Mormon on Broadway and he has been for years and he, had, he hadn't been in any film before and so that was perfect and then for the a love interest character who I call Lisa, but her name never appears, so in the script she's called Lisa. Tara Subkoff plays her, and I knew I wanted someone, or what I was thinking was someone who had an, I'm thinking a lot about TV and screens and entertainment, someone who had an on-screen presence in that period or something like that. Um, that was actually kind of hard. <laughs> but then Tara came up and I don't know and thinking about her in combination with Jim and I had never met her before but I really she had been in 
Last Days of Disco, and she was a popular figure, style figure in the 2000s, and she had a clothing brand. And I don't know. I just thought that she was a cool reference for the piece and that she'd be a really odd pairing with Jim. But they got along really well, actually. They had good chemistry. And then Emily Davis had been in a play reciting transcripts of Susan Sontag just recently. So she was perfect to play so, or to be reciting transcripts. And yeah, so the casting was really immaterial in this work. Or I really had a good time thinking creatively about these decisions. And I'm really lucky that these people s agreed to it. Another part of the text I would like to read is by Constance de Bray. And I think important to know that she used to be a lawyer. I'll read it first and then I'll ask a question. The truth at the heart of the facts, the truth that is at once the basis for the spectacle and swallowed up by the spectacle, Justice swept up in its own logic of spectacle. Its own mechanisms forget the possible victim behind the plaintiff. Or sometimes it forgets the defendant who ends up being judged too hastily. It forgets about people, violence, contempt. So what is the point of this justice if it is unable to tell the truth, to remedy injustice? What purpose does it serve if not to distract us? I would like to hear from you a little bit about the role of um, justice and in relation to the spectacle and probably in relation to using the genre of um, the soap opera in, in your film. Perhaps because of my parents, I have a very pessimistic view of the justice system. And I really think of the law as very separate from morality and that's just true and we would be foolish to think otherwise and we should question morality also or question our what we think is moral also although anyway thinking about rape trials and in light of other recent historical trials and 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 things um, and testimonies like Christine Blasey Ford's testimony etc to me I I think the justice system is antithetical to, like a, a rape trial can't, it's incompatible with our justice system. Like there's no way we would find justice because in a, in a way the, the system is, it is violence. Its foundation is violence. So how could it resolve violence with violence and so maybe that's some of the absurdity that I think about while making this. And and so if it's not for justice, then it's obviously entertainment. And <laughs> also because of my parents, I think a lot about how often in these shows, we as the viewers often on the side of the cop, basically, the government, you want them to catch the bad guy when you watch Law and & Order and these shows, almost all, always in all these movies, you want them to go to jail for a really long time, but I don't know, I consider myself an abolitionist, or I'd like, yeah, I'd like that to happen. So 
I feel complicated about that, and <laughs> I I don't know if we should be always um, watch you know consuming media or or producing media that's always on the side of of pun of punitive government police etc. And we don't even think about that when we watch these shows, and so that's something that I was also thinking about is making content where maybe the the characters kind of. Um, we kind of like this character, even though we don't. <laughs> but I, th- I think that's important to, to consider. That's super interesting. The position of the of the viewer and and who do we follow then, and what what are the rules that are decided before. But also with uh, connecting with your film, just with the, the sexual relationship is like how to dismantle the system, how to show the the yeah the dark side of it, and that it's super easy to. To win a case, if you have the system to win it, and then it's the case. It's not. It's, it's not connected to morality. It's connected, as you said, to something else. But I have been like mm, talking with you. Uh, these images coming from films and uh, and the position of the camera and how how the construction also of this uh, performance it's extremely different, defined through power. Like who sits up there, who's on the right side, who's on the left side, who's like just waiting. Uh, with with no possibility to act, so it's a it's a classic construction connected to theater or to not religion, but probably uh, for a past project, I wanted to get courtroom benches, but I learned that they're actually all almost always the same pews as churches, and they're actually produced by the same people, and there's really no difference. Before we get to an end, I would like to hear a bit about what's coming. Yeah, so after the Secession show, this show travels to Index in Stockholm in April, and then after that, it'll be in Kindle in Berlin, and I'm already starting to work on part two. Next year, next summer of 2024, I'll present it in the U.S., I'm looking forward to that. Do you already know if there is more than two episodes? I have a proposal that I supposedly have an idea for the third, but <laughs> but I don't know. I wrote a lot of things, and now the first part is made, and now, you know, when you have an idea and then it becomes material, it's actually not the idea anymore. It's that material. So I know what I'm making for the part two, and I don't really know how that ends or how that will land and if I will feel like there needs to be another part I really loved the idea of like having some kind of other tribunal that's not government related I think of the characters as almost like anarchists like the, the defense attorney and and his love affair in this way like and and thinking about like what if there what would it look like to to have a part of the film be this other tribunal that's unaffiliated and what would that look like um, and not God or anything like that um, but something else yeah, we're jumping to another layer of <laughs> yeah. like the, the reality, the truth, the veracity <laughs> yeah. of it Yeah, it sounds super exciting I think that's a great way to end thank you so much, I'm really pleased to have curated this show with you Jordan and thank you Marty for being here with us today And yeah, thank you for this great conversation. Thank you both so much. Thanks. Session. Podcast. Artists. 
The production of this podcast was made possible by the kind support of the Dorotheum.